Welcome to Roadside, where we talk about the fascinating and sometimes disturbing history behind roadside attractions and unique destinations. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Roadside. I'm Janica. And I am Abigail. And today is part two. Part two. Of the Glensheen oh. Mansion. My my puppy is being whiny, so you might hear him. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yes, part two. Yes, part two of Glensheen Mansion, which I'm very excited to get into part two, because part two okay. is where comes all the drama, oh, like the gosh. court drama. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Alrighty then. So what have you been up to, Mama? Just, well, nothing. That's not true. What was I up to recently? What did I do this past weekend? I feel like I did something, but now it's not ringing a bell. (laughs) So I don't know. I'm sure you did do something. Oh, I cooked all day yesterday. That's what I did. Yeah. I did meal prep. Just trying to not eat a bunch of junk food and yeah, spend I'm trying so to do much that too. money because I, I went to order a bowl of soup one day because I didn't bring my lunch and I was like, I'm just going to order a bowl of soup. That one bowl of soup was $10, but then with the tip and delivery fee and all of that was 16 for, for soup. soup. I'm like $16 for yeah. a bowl of soup. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And it's just it was just one of those situations where I couldn't leave that day because stuff was going on. It's just like I had to get things done at work. And it's right. like, all right, I need to meal prep so I have something that I can bring every day without having to spend 15 to $20 on lunch. Yeah. So that's what I did. That's fair. I would, I would do the same thing. Yeah. So what's up with you? Oh, nothing. It was just my birthday a couple days oh, ago. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah, I was actually I'm 24 now, so I'm, you know, practically an adult. Practically. <laughs> Happy Damn. birthday. Thank you. I'm in my mid-20s now, Mom. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that crazy? I told uh, Abigail that I realized that I have been a mom longer than I haven't. Yep. And I beat you. I beat you. You beat me? I beat you. Yes. My goal was to get to 24 without having kids. Well, that was my goal for you as well. Because <laughs> uh, grandma had me at 19. I had you at 23. So my goal was always for you to be older than I was. Than 23. Yep. And now I'm 24, no kids. You made it. <laughs> I made it. I'm proud of myself. Me too. You want to get into it? Sure. Let's go. Alrighty. I'm going to give a slight recap about everything. So we're talking about the Glensheen Mansion, which is in Duluth, Minnesota, and where the Congdon family lived. Uh, They were very, like, this very wealthy family. Yep. And one of their daughters, Elizabeth, once the original Congdon family passed away and moved out, Elizabeth took over the house and eventually adopted two infant girls, Jennifer and Marjorie. And... Marjorie was known to be a little vindictive, a little manipulative, you know, as, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) And she married, divorced, and then married again a a man named Roger. And he was apparently very gullible, not 
the sharpest tool in the shed. Marjorie loved to spend her money, her mom's money, really. Um, and would continue to rely on Elizabeth to pay the bills and everything. And then one night, June in 1977, Elizabeth and her night nurse, Velma, were both killed in the Glensheen mansion. And we had just gotten to the point where Roger was arrested. Because we have the envelope with the coin and the fingerprints on the envelope, the coin that he stole. Allegedly or suspiciously or however you want to say that. Yes. And while the police was talking to the Congdon family, people were talking about Marjorie a lot, saying, you need to look into Marjorie. Mm. So they started to look into Marjorie and her husband, Roger. So Roger was arrested. Okay. We'll talk about the trial. Alrighty. Roger's lawyers were very worried about him not being able to get a fair trial in Duluth Mm. because everybody knew about this murder and the Congdons had a huge legacy across Duluth because there was a Congdon Boulevard, there was a Congdon Park, Mm. and there was a Congdon School. (laughs) So everybody knew the name and everybody knew what was going on. So the judge approved of the trial being moved somewhere else. Okay. Jury selection began in April 1978, uh, 10 months after the murders, and it took more than three weeks for them to find a jury. Okay. Trial officially began May 9th, 1978, and opened with the lead investigator, Sergeant Gary Waller, showing the jury some very gruesome pictures Mm -hmm. from the crime scene. Yeah. So that was a, what a way to open the case, you know, right. for these jurors. Yeah. So like, just here's these pictures of these. I would not want to be on a jury and I dead mean, people. And I was on a jury once, but it was nothing like that. I can't imagine being yeah. on a jury and having to see all that. Yeah, that would be really rough. Yes. So one of the defense's main points that they used was the there was two unidentified handprints in the bathroom where the killer cleaned mm. up after he had killed them. And the handprints did not match Roger or anybody else that they could really find. So the defense were saying that these handprints were the real killer, you know? Yeah, okay. So the handprints were sent back to the lab to be tested, and they came back. And one of the handprints was from a Congdon nurse that was helping to take care of Elizabeth. Okay. And the other was actually from the lead investigator, Waller, from early on in the investigation. There had been a handprint that he left oh. on the sink. Okay. I mean, he shouldn't be touching things. No, really shouldn't. Or at least have gloves a on. Suspicious. Yeah, a little sketchy. Yeah. And then came the very sudden dismissal of a juror. Oh. Because she received a letter in the mail saying, I will give you $10,000 for a guilty verdict. Mm-hmm. And it was not signed. It was not signed. Nobody knows still who the letter was sent by. Interesting. So obviously they had to dismiss that juror because even if she did come forward immediately with right. that letter, that's still a motive to vote guilty. Absolutely. You know? And that can sway the case. Yep. So she was taken off and they found another juror. There were some... Other holes 
that they were able to poke through the case, which were very interesting. No one had seen Roger in Duluth on the day of the murders, which was unusual. They asked everybody, a lot of a lot hmm. of freaking people, and if someone was in Duluth and they knew what happened, they would have come forward. Yeah. Maybe, hopefully, you know. <laughs> Police also could not find any evidence of him taking a flight from Denver to Minneapolis and back again. They couldn't find a ticket. They couldn't find his name anywhere. Right. But you also have to remember this is the 70s. And security was not taken as seriously in airports back then. Yeah. And there was also no real explanation as to why Roger would have sent himself the coin. You know? Yeah. I mean, unless he's trying to throw the trail off. Yeah. That's what I was thinking, too. Um, because it was addressed like, they, in his handwriting, right? It was right? addressed to him in his handwriting. And then his thumbprint was on the coin, right? Yes. So see, that's kind of sketchy. It is really sketchy. <laughs> but they were saying that it was part of some like big setup mm. um, that he was being that he was being set up and someone else had sent that letter with that stuff in it. Okay. There were also claims that the stolen car was part of a setup. Because if you remember, he stole the maid's, the nurse's uh, car after murdering her. Super fun. Uh, And then that car was driven to the airport. Yes. And this was seen as being kind of part of a setup because the night nurses did not always drive themselves to work. A lot of times they didn't, actually. And this nurse was just filling in. Right. So he didn't know for sure that whatever nurse that showed up would have a car. And wouldn't someone planning a murder have a better getaway plan? That's what their whole defense was. Yeah. They also did a little bit of a spectacle, um, which I thought was super intriguing. They were trying to prove that Roger's arm could not have fit through the hole in the broken window in the basement of the mansion. Because there was a hole in the... In the window right. where a, the killer had gotten in and unlatched the window. Yeah. So they created a cardboard exact replica of oh. the window okay. at Glensheen. And like size-wise and everything was exact. And they had an officer who was testifying at the time and whose arm was very clearly smaller than Roger's. They had this officer try to put his arm through the hole And act like he was going to unlatch the fake window. The officer could not fit his arm through the hole without dislodging the fake glass. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Which means that Roger definitely could not have broken that window and reached in and unlatched that without it being, you know? Yeah. But. So that's interesting. What if somebody was with him? Great question. <laughs> Somebody with Great a question smaller because thinking arm. the same thing. Someone maybe with a smaller arm mm-hmm. who knows the house really well. Who knows, yeah. yes, if maybe that nurse would be there that night. Yeah, maybe. Mm. So Roger did not testify during the trial at all. The trial lasted eight weeks. And saw more than 500 pieces of evidence. 
Jesus. And 109 witnesses. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The jury deliberated for two and a half days and came back to declare him guilty of both murders. Okay. Roger was arrested and sentenced to two consecutive life terms with a a minimum of 35 years. Okay. So with this guilty verdict kind of boosting their ego, the prosecution team decided the day after Roger's sentencing that they were going to charge Marjorie with planning the murders. Ah. So the next day, they were like, we're we're coming for you. Yeah. We're coming for you. (laughs) They said, we got him and we're getting you next. Yep. So no one accused her of actually physically committing the murders because several witnesses saw her in Colorado on the day of the murders. Okay. The theory, though, was that Roger would not have committed this crime on his own. And he didn't know his way around the Glensheen Mansion. He didn't know his way around Duluth. He was not from Duluth. Ah. Also lacked ambition. He was very easily persuaded. And he had a heavy drinking problem. Okay. So it just kind of seems like this isn't something he would have done. Wouldn't have taken the initiative to do himself. Got it. But if persuaded. Yes. Also, in the days after the murder, when Marjorie was questioned about Roger's whereabouts on the days of the on the day of the murder, she gave the police very inconsistent statements. About very, very different. Yeah. Marjorie hired Minneapolis attorney Ron Meshbesher, which is really fun to say. Nice name. (laughs) He was the top lawyer at the time. Okay. And he had had a lot of big publicized cases. Her trial was also moved out of Duluth. And throughout the trial, two major holes were poked through the case. Okay. The first one, Mesh Besher found an expert who disputed the fingerprint on the envelope with the stolen coin. Oh. So he found an expert to say, that's not Roger's fingerprint. Hmm. They also found a witness, a waitress in Colorado, who they had talked to before in the beginning of the investigation. And at the time, she said that she had not seen Roger in Colorado on the day of the murders. But they talked to her again, and suddenly she said, oh, yeah, I saw him Hmm. in Colorado on the day of the murders. Interesting. Which is just weird. And then there was Marjorie herself. She immediately took on the innocent old lady image. During the trial, she sat at the defense table and knitted the whole time. She knitted. Mm-hmm. In a trial mm-hmm. that she was being convicted for. Mm-hmm. Wow. A murder trial. Yeah. Of her mother. Of her mother. That's insane. What the fuck is yeah. wrong with that woman? She also kept a book nearby in case she wanted to read. Oh, because she's so fucking bored in court where she's being tried for murder of her mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She also liked to chat with reporters and spectators during breaks. Oh, Lord. And on Mesh Besher's birthday, she brought a cake into the courtroom. What the fuck? Yeah, so she's very much trying to give off this image that she's perfect. 
She's innocent. Like she does to me that's an I don't give a shit because yeah, I'm innocent. Like I don't have time for this because I didn't do anything. Right. I'm above this. Yeah. <sighs> Initially, she insisted that she wanted to testify. She wanted to talk. But later on, I think her lawyers kind of convinced her it's better if you stay quiet. Yeah. Her team really focused on disproving evidence against Roger. Hmm. Uh, trying to show that the couple had been framed together or that Roger had done it himself, which was confusing because if you're trying to disprove evidence against Roger, but you're also trying to prove that he did it himself. Right. Like that's, those are very conflicting statements. Yeah. It was, it was pretty confusing. Huh. So after six weeks, the, of trial, the jury deliberated for 10 hours and came back with a verdict of not guilty. Hmm. I guess the knitting worked. Some of the jurors even came up to her and hugged her and congratulated her. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Which, to be fair, there wasn't a lot of evidence against her, but I do believe that she is guilty in some way. I'm thinking her arm was small enough to fit through that window. I'm thinking that too. Yeah. Where's that cardboard cutout, guys? And just because she wasn't seen in town that day does not mean that it wasn't premeditated and her arm went through that window on another night and then he mm-hmm. already came he came and the window was already unlocked. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. they broke it just to make it look like somebody had broken in. Because she might have had a key to the place. I don't know if she did or not. Yeah. So it's like, you know. Yeah. So after that, Roger's team filed for an appeal after Marjorie's trial, thinking that now that the fingerprint evidence had been thrown away, they would have a better chance of getting him, you know, a shorter yeah, uh, shorter time in jail. Or Reduced whatever. sentence. Reduced sentence. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. In a fancy way. I knew what you meant. <laughs> Yeah. So the appeal process began and it was very long. And it wasn't until 1982 that they heard back from the Minnesota Supreme Court. Okay. And they overturned Roger's conviction and ordered him a new trial. Oh. So he was free to go. Ah, nice. He was free to go. He served a little more than five years. All right. And he was free to go now that the trial proceedings were going to start. Got it. And this trial would be very difficult for the prosecutors. It had been several years. There was new evidence from Marjorie's trial. Some witnesses had died. Mm. And the cost of the second trial was going to be huge. Yeah. They also worried about their own image. About if Roger gets free, the city's biggest murder case is going cold yeah so they were like that's gonna look bad on us Mm -hmm. so they proposed a plea bargain if roger would confess to the murders they would give him one year in prison one year yeah if he confessed to two murders wow Taking two lives and yeah. he would get one year. That's fucking ridiculous. Like, what kind yeah. of. 
uh, I can't form words. Can you imagine being Elizabeth's family or no. the maid's family, Velma's family? No. And how do you even come up with that as a proposal? Maid, she was a nurse. Yes, nurse. she was not a maid. She was a nurse. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So at the time, Roger was in Pennsylvania, which was his home, and he held out for a better deal. He said, I want a better deal. I want better than a year. So negotiation happened, and they led to a new deal. Confess to the murders, get no time in prison. What's, what the fuck good does that do? Except you've got a coerced confession, basically. I mean, he could have done it, but... Confessed murderer out on the loose. Yes. Oh, yeah, I killed two people. Okay, bye. Thanks. Have a nice life. See you later. So he, of course, agreed because... yeah. Yeah. So, Roger returned to Duluth and confessed in court. He said, the night of the murders, he waited outside of the mansion in the cemetery by the house until he went inside and killed both women. He said he had been drinking heavily, and he could not remember a lot of the details, including how he had flown across the country and back. Yeah, right. And including taking the gold coin. He couldn't remember those things. He showed no remorse at all whatsoever, and there was no mention of an accomplice. So he was claiming that he did this on his own, basically. And in his confession, he said the intention was burglary and that it had just gone wrong. Oh, yeah. Just just like that. It's like, if this was a burglary gone wrong, and let's say you had met the night nurse and you killed the night nurse. Mm-hmm. What about the old lady? That's she ex- was asleep. That's exactly what I was just going to say. She was she asleep. Needed a and night even nurse. if she wasn't, even if she wasn't, she was partially paralyzed and could not have done anything. Yeah. So I disagree with that statement, sir. Yeah, I do too. He said, quote, I didn't have a plan. I didn't. This was the most amateurish, slipshod thing now I have had years to ponder it. What does slipshod mean? Like messed up, basically. I mean, he's got that right. (laughs) (laughs) Messed up. Amateurish. Yeah. He also denied that Marjorie had any part in the murders. Hmm. So his part was done and he was free and back in Pennsylvania. Okay, technically slipshod means characterized by a lack of care, thought, or organization. So Yeah, so it was yeah. stupid, basically. Uh, yeah, so he was free and in Pennsylvania, living life. And he was not doing good. No. Karma was getting his ass. Karma was getting his ass. Oh, good. We love karma. Yes. He was not very healthy at this point. He was drinking yeah. a lot. And he was very, very poor. Mm. He actually had a little more audacity. And contacted the Congdon family. What? And said... Pay me $50,000 and I'll give you evidence of others' involvement in the murders. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. That man's a mm-hmm. piece of shit. Can you imagine being that family? No. And being like, what? Yeah. 
You just confessed but, to the murder and now and got away scot-free and now you want us to give uh-huh. you fifty thousand dollars to give more information mm-hmm. when you just said that you did it all. Yeah. The family, however, did think that Marjorie had something to do with it. Mm. Well, I mean, so I they agreed. Too. They agreed, but before they gave him any money, they said, we need some proof that this is actually real. Mm. And that you're giving us real solid evidence. Yeah. And that we're not just going to give you your money and you're going to run. Yeah. And he said, no. <laughs> no, but uh, can you give me 100000 instead? What? <laughs> I mean, how big are his balls? Jesus Christ. Be fucking huge, dude. <sighs> wow. Like... And so they were like, okay, no, we're done. Yeah, good. So they didn't give him any money and they cut off all contact with him. Good. Block his ass. Block his ass. In 1988, Roger died by suicide. Mm. He was 54 years old and his suicide note claimed that he did not kill those two women, nor could he ever harm a soul in his life. Hmm. There were only nine people at his funeral. Wow. And his girlfriend, at the time, also did not show up. So did they get a divorce at some point? No. They split. They did not divorce. Oh. But now he had a girlfriend. Yeah, no, because he was, because she's, I think, in Arizona at this point. okay. And she's in, and he's in Pennsylvania. Right. Okay. Or Colorado. One of those. So his girlfriend was not at the funeral. Huh. Why, people asked. Yeah, why? Why would his girlfriend not be at her boyfriend's funeral? Right. Well, she had a very good reason. Uh-oh. She was in the hospital. Oh, God. With a broken collarbone that he had given her when he was drunk. What? So, could never harm a soul in his life? Yeah, no shit. And you leave that in your note. Uh-huh. While, while, Knowing your girlfriend is while in the hospital. While she's in the fucking hospital. At yeah. your hand. Oh. Yep. Yeah. Jesus. So, he's gone. He's burning in hell. Probably. I'm sure karma's getting Probably. up there, too. Yeah. So, Marjorie, after... Her acquittal only visited Roger in jail once. Hmm. And in 1981, she got remarried to a man named Wally Hagen in North Dakota, but they didn't divorce her and Roger. Yeah, it was like you just said they didn't divorce, but she got remarried. Yeah, in in 81, and he died in 88, so he was still alive, and they were still married. Interesting. I don't know. I don't know, dude. <laughs> So she had known Wally and his wife, Helen, since the 60s because they raised their kids together doing ice skating. Okay. And they had all kept in touch. Because remember I told you about all the ice skating competitions right. and costumes, costumes and stuff that she yeah. spent money on? Yeah. The elaborate So then they had all kind of kept in touch. Yeah. After her acquittal, Helen, the wife of Wally, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, unfortunately, mm. and placed in a nursing home. And then Helen went into an unexplained coma Hmm. after just days 
arriving at the nursing home. Interesting. And so the nurses were like, that's so weird. Like, it's just randomly. They, so they were like, I wonder who the last person that saw her was. Yeah, I wonder. It was Marjorie. Oh, I knew I was going to say that. Yeah. Three days later, Helen died. Oh. And Marjorie and Wally became inseparable and got married. Funny how that happens. Yeah, isn't that so weird? Yeah. After their wedding, the couple moved houses and they sold their old house. Okay. And the night that they moved out, the house was set on fire. Why? Was it arson, I assume? Yeah. But what would the Marjorie Wait. of that be? Who still owed money on the mortgage mm. was charged with arson. Oh, good. Yes. During their investigation, they found several other, several other unexplained fires in her past, going all the way back to her youth. Hmm. A shit ton. Interesting. Mesh Besher defended her again, but they lost the trial and she was convicted of arson and insurance fraud and sentenced to time in prison. Good. Yeah. This lady is insane. <laughs> this She's insane. Sounds like it. She was released 20 months later, and her and Wally moved southwest to a small town in Arizona pretty close to the Mexican border. Okay. And they moved close to the ne- Mexican border because Wally had developed cancer. Hmm. So they went back and forth to Mexico for cancer drugs. Okay. And soon, weirdly, a string of fires began to pop up in this small town they moved to. In empty homes and garages. And for what? And police thought it was just like kids messing around. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> what what this is for. Because these were just empty homes and like, empty garages. Like, like it wasn't like she was trying to kill anybody else or anything. Right. You know? Like she just likes the thrill of setting something on fire? Yeah, I don't know. I guess so. Um, so police thought it was just like kids like messing around. Yeah. And so they didn't look into the couple at all hmm. until okay. the couple was having some problems with their next door neighbor. Uh-oh. They said the neighbors threw trash in their yard and they were messing with their dog and they were agitating their dog. And one night, the neighbor, who was a border patrol officer, heard something coming from outside the window. Mm. So he got up to check it out. And found a kerosene-soaked rag on the windowsill. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Can you imagine trying to burn someone's house down while they're inside of it? Or putting trash in your yard? I mean, I hate my neighbor, but I'm not doing that kind of shit. Yeah. Your neighbor is crazy. Mm -hmm. I hope she listens to this. I doubt it. She probably doesn't. If you're my neighbor, you're a bitch. But only one of you. Yep. You know who you are. (laughs) You know who you are. (laughs) So he called the police immediately, obviously, and they quickly set up a trap that night for the culprit. Okay. We were kind of scoping out the area, waiting for someone to come back and light that. Got it. That rag. Yeah. So around 1 a.m., they saw some, like, a flick of, like, a lighter. Ah. And so they all rushed out and chased this person darn down a dark alley, and it was Marjorie. This woman. 
What the fuck? Yeah. So Marjorie was put in jail um, before the new trial could start. Okay. And neighbors said that Wally's health actually began to improve a lot. Hmm. Well, she was in there. That's so Because when she went curious. to jail, he was in a wheelchair uh-huh. and she was taking care of him 24-7. Hmm. And now he's out and about and he's driving around and he's doing errands and yard work. Hmm. Weird. Weird. And then she got out of jail pending the trial and his health began going downhill again. <sighs> he didn't like connect the two. I a neighbor said that she had been giving him a pill to help him sleep. Mm. Wally testified in her arson trial, arriving to court on a gurney. Oh my god. That escalated quickly. Yes. He told the jury that her arthritis would have been so bad that she would not have been able to strike a match oh, or a lighter. Jurors later saw him walking on his own in the parking lot. What? What? What the fuck is... What? Oh my god, I'm so confused. Like, are they what in it together? Is- like, this is a... Are they in it together or is he... I mean, he's in on it at least a little bit. He's gotta be a little you know, bit. But I think she's gotta be the mastermind. <sighs> Jesus. So... Like days of our lives up in here. Yeah. So she was convicted of the attempted arson and would later plead guilty to several other arson charges. Okay. And she was given 15 years in prison. Good. Three times more than what Roger served for two murders. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. Marjorie, this next part's going to get you, Mom. Oh, God. Okay. So Marjorie was sentenced, and she asked the judge, pretty please. She did not. Can I have one more day of freedom to take care of Wally? Oh, no, 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 no. And this dumbass judge said yes. What what the fuck? Great question. Great question. Question. Because I already feel like I can predict so, what's going to happen. And if I can predict this, why didn't he? But I'm going to let you tell it because this is your episode. <sighs> anyway, go ahead. So the, the police did not like this. They were clearly suspicious. They were like, what the fuck? I mean. So they followed her back home to Arizona and they had patrol cars taking shifts outside of the house. Okay. The next day. An officer smelled some natural gas. Oh, God. Coming from the home. So he knocked on the door, said, hey, is everything okay in here? And she said, everything's fine. The pilot light on my stove just blew out. Uh, I feel like it's a little more than that. So a few hours later, she made some phone calls to tell her friends that Wally was dead. Oh, God. Police investigated and found a piece of hose cut long enough to reach from the stove, the gas stove, 
to the bedroom where Wally was. Oh my god. There were also prescription pills laying all next to his body. Along with a double suicide note. Oh, God. It said that Marjorie had been unjustly accused and didn't want to go to jail and that Wally wouldn't survive without her. I think he would. He'd be better He probably off. would have thrived yeah. without her. Yeah. Probably would have been a lot healthier without probably. her. Probably. It also said that the three of them wished to be buried together with their dog. So Marjorie was arrested for murder. Okay, so she didn't do anything to herself, just him. Just him. This Marjorie was arrested for murder, but the charges were dropped. No. Why? Abigail, make this sense. The prosecution did not have a lot of evidence for this. And also, for all they know, they could have planned this double suicide. Wally went first, and then Marjorie backed out. You know? <sighs> I guess. Was the note written in his handwriting, though? Or did she write both of them? I have no idea, actually. So, as Marjorie sat in prison for the arson charges, Wally's children were trying to get his body back home hmm. to Minnesota. But Marjorie refused. Oh, my God. After a long legal battle about it, the children were granted half of Wally's ashes. Oh, Lord. And Marjorie got the other half. The children of Wally also began to wonder if Marjorie was involved in their mother's death as well. Hmm. In 2001, Marjorie had a parole hearing trying to get released early, and two of Wally's children attended. She took no responsibility for anything and ranted about how Wally's children kept bothering her. Uh, This... Okay. She was not granted early parole, by the way. Okay, good. She served 12 years. And was released in 2004 and moved to Tucson. And in 2007, she befriended another Roger named Roger Samus Hmm. in an assisted living home and offered to help him with his finances. Oh, of course. How nice of her. She's really generous. So generous. So kind. Yeah. She's really generous. Um, He died pretty soon after that. What? What? I didn't see that one coming. But she kept his checkbook and kept writing checks to herself. Uh, What a dumbass. Police wanted to do an autopsy, obviously, of his body to see if she had anything to do with it. She had used her power of attorney to have him immediately cremated. Oh, God. That's not suspicious at all. No. She was charged with fraud and forgery and sentenced to intensive probation. Oh, wow. Intensive probation? Yeah. Yeah. Um, A funny note, I will say, one of her lawyers that she'd hired at one point, this was, this, this made me laugh. Okay. So while she was in jail for arson, her lawyer, she was still receiving pretty big checks from the Congdon estate. Oh. 
while she was in prison. Interesting. I don't know why. Why I don't know why she was receiving money from them. I mean, she was part of the family, but not really, you know. Yeah. Um, and she obviously, you know, helped murder her mother. But she was getting these checks for like forty eight hundred dollars a month. Huh. Interesting. And her lawyer was keeping all of them for himself. Oh. And she wasn't aware and of he's, this? And he ended up scamming her out of $1 million. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that so funny? <laughs> I mean, he shouldn't have done that. But still, she fucking did. No, but it. still, it's, like, that's, it's her. Yes. He was also scamming all of his other clients. So, you know, he was a bad person, yes. but... It was just funny that it was her. Right. Yeah. Wow. So Marjorie is still free and on the loose. Still today? Oh, yeah. How old would she be by now? Still today. She's in her 80s, I think. Hmm. How many more people has she killed? Probably a lot. <laughs> That's Probably a lot. Funny. Not going to lie. It's not funny. But, I mean, like, no, Jesus, it's not this woman. And she seems to get away with everything. And ever since all this stuff happened, she's been living lately in different assisted living facilities. And that's all we know about her. Wow. Yeah. What a piece of work. Wasn't that wild? Yes. Yes, it was. I that see why you said now there was wild. so much more. Yeah. Even though the first one was a little, a little shorter. Yeah. There was just I didn't I didn't want to fit all of this into one episode. Yeah. But like, oh my God. It starts with like this wealthy heiress and she's adopting these two girls and she's being independent and she don't need no man and she has all this money. And then one of her adopted daughters plots to kill her. Right. And like, you know, oh it's like, this could be a movie. Yes. It probably is. It, I don't know. It could there could be a movie. It, it could be for sure. Story, yeah. I'm not trying to, you know, make light of all the stuff that happened and all the people that were no, absolutely killed. Um, but what, what a crazy story! Absolute evil bitch. Evil bitch. Yeah, she's going in my hex jar. Okay, good. Sorry, Marjorie. You're not sorry. Not really. No, not even a little bit. <laughs> oh, and that's all I got for you. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. Anytime. So, um, this was episode 40. Yeah. 40. That's crazy. I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Um, we've been doing this almost a year now. I know. Mom, a year ago today, we left for Utah. Oh, wow. I know. Which is, I just, I was just getting the, we got the idea on where we got this idea. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yes. For, um, Bishop's Castle. For Bishop's Castle. Yeah. Yeah. That's so nice. That's exciting. <laughs> well, alrighty, guys. For all so, of you who have stuck around for almost a year to get us to episode 40, it's we very love you. exciting. We do love With you. All of our heart. Yes. Um, if you want to be a patron, you can get a seven day free trial. At patreon.com slash roadside. Do it. Yep. And then you can if you want to. Us. You could also follow us on TikTok at Roadside Podcast. And Instagram at Roadside Pod. 
and Facebook at Roadside Podcast. And YouTube at Roadside Pod. Or you can go to our website, roadsidepodcast.com, and find all of those social medias and Patreon stuff right there. Yep. And you can also email us at roadsidepod at gmail.com. Tell us Please where you've us. been that, or where you would know like your to go that you want to hear the history of. Yeah. 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 Thank all right. you. We love you all. Love you. Keep finding the thrill and the mysterious and all that good stuff. Bye. Mwah.